want to welcome you to our class this morning, especially those that are here live and in person. Uh, we're coming in, we're getting started, uh, and also for those of you that are on, online, we want to welcome you, give you a little shout out, good morning to you as you stay in your pajamas and drink your coffee. Uh, we're glad that you're joining us via um, technology and media. I want to give a, a word of prayer here in just a minute and pray for our brother Mike Miracle, who's usually sitting right there behind Kathleen. He is, um, he's got to go to the doctor today with, um, at 1.30, if y'all could pray for him. Mike's very quiet. He didn't talk a lot about his, his hurts and his illness, but he's got a really bad back, and it looks like he's going to have to have surgery again. And so uh, he's supposed to be in Ukraine uh, right now, uh, Ukraine, y'all with me? Like, it's, it is going on. Hello, Misha. I haven't seen you in a little bit. We were just talking about you the other day. Herb, it's good to see you too, brother. God bless you. Um, <laughs> yes. So let's pray for Mike, and then uh, we'll get started uh, this morning. Again, just want to welcome you. Man, I'm excited about this lesson. I just... Uh, Mm, I couldn't wait uh, to get here this morning and, uh, and to share this, this with you, especially if you're a believer. If you're a follower of Christ, I do believe your heart is going to be greatly encouraged. You're going to be greatly blessed when you realize just who you are in Christ. So let me, let me pray for us and we'll get started. Oh, Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for a new day. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. God, we bless your name. We love you so much. You're an awesome God, you're the one true God, and you created everything, you created us, and you love us very much, and you've given us the very breath in our lungs, you've given us everything, God, that we possess, and we recognize that, and we want to be good stewards of what you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for our minds, thank you that we can worship you with our minds in truth, Lord, and thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives within us, I pray, Holy Spirit of God, you would just be here with us, use me. Uh, as your mouthpiece, Lord, just speak truth through me, through the Word of God, and encourage every person, Lord, uh, that is here today. Thank you, Lord, for uh, those that are listening online. I pray that you'd bless them, strengthen them. I pray that you'd be with Mike Miracle as he is uh, facing, uh, uh, Lord, this appointment today, and then a diagnosis as to what they need to do with his back. I pray for him, that you'd take away his pain, that you would encourage him. Thank you, Lord, again for um, Great Hills Baptist Church. God, thank you for this radiant uh, body of Christ that you've placed here on 10,500 Jollyville to be a light, to be a beacon and shine in the midst of darkness. And Lord, we thank you for truth. We thank you for the Word of God. Hallelujah. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week, uh, toward the end, I started going really fast, so I want to back up uh, as if that's something new, that, that I went fast, but I, I want to back up and just um, summarize just a little bit of what we were talking about when we talked about giving the, uh, uh, giving the gospel call. Right after a, a election, we, we started talking about presenting the gospel and what that means, what that looks like, and let me just remind you of Romans 8.30. We talked about how in that passage of Scripture, and I love Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30, talks about who we are in Christ, that God has predestined us, God has called us, God has saved us, God will one day glorify us. And so we think about who we are in Christ, and that is the message of the gospel. It's who we are, we are made new in Him, and we can help others become new in Christ as we, as we present the gospel. 
And so the elements of the gospel call, talked about this last week. I just want to talk a little bit more about it right now. Talking about the explanation of the facts of, of salvation. What are the central salient features of our faith that we share with others when we're evangelizing them? Well, there really are, there are three things. And we always can talk about man's need, that we are needy creatures. Amen? What is our greatest need? What can you think of? I'm sorry? Jesus. Amen. Our greatest need is we need to be forgiven. We need to be cleansed of our sins. So our greatest need, man's need, is sin. God's provision. God has not left us alone in our need. What is our, what is our provision? Who is our provision? Somebody said it a minute ago. It's Jesus. And then what, uh, what do we do? How do we appropriate that? What do we, how do we respond in that? We, well, we believe. And we have faith and simple childlike faith in him. So we're talking about this a little bit last week, just about becoming a Christian, the gospel, the key elements of the gospel. I talked to you a little bit about the Roman road last week. All have sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. Jesus, God demonstrated his love toward us. Jesus died for us, and then we believe, we repent. And so um, last time, at about this time, I was rushing really fast, and I, I want to go back over this just, just for a minute, that there are only two things that we do that we respond uh, in response to the Holy Spirit of God ministering to us and speaking to us, and we respond in repentance and faith. And, that, and I tell you, you see this throughout the New Testament. You see where it, 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 Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Uh, Paul said, in, uh, or Peter preached in Acts 3.19, repent ye therefore and be converted so that your sins may be blotted out and times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. And then Romans 10.9 if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, we believe, you with me? We believe in our hearts, God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Then Acts 20, 21 talks about, Paul says, I preach to you repentance of sin and faith toward God. Uh, Roy Fish, when we were taking evangelism at Southwestern Seminary, I remember one day he said, the 2020 vision of New Testament faith is Acts 20, 20, where Paul says, I held nothing back from you, but I went publicly and house to house, and I shared with you repentance toward God and faith in our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So uh, the promise of forgiveness and eternal life is there. If we will believe, if we will have faith, if we will turn from our sin, the Bible is very clear. That is man's response, and God's response to that is, is salvation, justification, uh, regeneration, adoption, and all those wonderful things that we're going to talk about uh, now. So I felt like I just went real fast through that last week, just kind of wanted to ramp up to where we are. And this is where we literally left off, is the importance of the gospel call. And this is still Lesson 13, Becoming a Christian, and that is C, importance of the gospel call. And basically it's just, it's important, of course we know this, that not only that we know the gospel and speak the gospel privately and personally with people, but also as we publicly uh, proclaim the gospel. I love Romans 10, 14, talks about how will they believe unless someone tells them. And how will they tell them unless someone uh, sends them. And somebody said wisely, it is only good news if they hear it uh, in time, if we get the gospel message to them in time. In the gospel call to salvation, God addresses the full man. He addresses us in our totality of who we are. And I like the way Gruden puts this. He said, as we present the gospel, we hear the gospel, and God speaks to us. He speaks to us through our minds, through our, through our, um, our thinking capacity. It, this is a gospel that we understand. 
He speaks to us through our, our hearts because the Holy Spirit of God is speaking and drawing to us, and we feel that internally, emotionally, and he speaks to us through our wills or our volition. Because salvation, when it comes, guys, it's not something that we just understand, but it's something that we apply and, and, and it, it, we embrace it, and it changes, it changes our lives. And, and I meant to say this last week, and I'll make sure I get this out. W.T. Connor was a systematic theologian at Southwestern Seminary many years ago, and he said, the response of man to the gospel is repent and believe. Repent and believe. And he said, those are the two sides of one coin. Think about that. In salvation, repentance and faith are the two sides of one coin. If a person really, truly repents, right, and they turn away from sin, they can't help but embrace by faith Jesus Christ. And also, if you embrace by faith Jesus Christ, you can't help but turn away from your sin. So they're the two sides uh, of the one coin. So this is the gospel. This is what it's all about. This is what we cherish. This is what we love. This is what we uh, don't keep to ourselves. We, we, tell, we tell the whole world. Okay, having said that, that's a brief uh, summary of where we were in last week's lesson. Now I want to get into uh, this week's lesson. It's lesson 14. Ooh, come on. Justification and adoption. Man, I tell you, you start thinking about who you are in Christ, it will absolutely uh, give you joy and give you sense of purpose and meaning when you realize all that God has done uh, to get you into the kingdom and the privileges and the blessings inherent uh, uh, therein. Uh, today we're going to look at these two um, doctrines of justification. What does that mean? And also adoption, uh, what, what does that mean? As we study these great subjects, again, I'm just going to ask you to prepare your heart uh, to be blessed. Some of you are saying, Brother Dan, it's too early to be blessed. I tell you, I'm, just, I'm too sleepy to be blessed. I'm just happy to be here. My caffeine, my coffee hasn't kicked in yet. And I just, I don't know that I can be blessed at 7 o'clock in the morning. You're going to be blessed, I promise you. When you start listening to these doctrines and think about what God has done to us in Christ, and now what he desires to do uh, through us, absolutely uh, amazing. So first of all, let's look at justification. What, is this, what does this mean, justification? So in conversion, God calls, we respond in repentance and faith. The Holy Spirit of God, he draws us, he regenerates us. We are born again by the Spirit of God. He imparts new life to us, okay? And when he does... God justifies us. That is a legal standing, a legal statement. You may have heard it put this way. It's God pronounces us clean and forgiven just as if we had never sinned before. And Grudem says, I like that, but the, we, we really shouldn't just say that when we say justification. It's just as if you've never sinned. He says, because it's far greater than that. It's more than it's just than you've never sinned, but look who you are in Christ now. I mean, you have a legal just standing before God Sins past, present, future, you are cleansed, you are sealed, you are forever a child of God. Listen to this, because the judge of the universe has declared you and me just. Woo, come on now, think about that. I mean, we, our sins, we're, they've been taken care of. And all that guilt and all that filthy rags and all those things that we have done, when we come to Christ, and Jesus Christ cleanses us. God the Father pronounces us clean. He pronounces us just. Can you imagine the 
standing before the bar, standing before the, a judge, even a local judge, and man, you're as guilty as you can be, and you were going 120 in a 25-mile-an-hour zone. How about that? And you deserve wrath. You deserve to have your license revoked. You deserve to go to prison. And yet the judge says, I'm going to have mercy on you, I'm going to pardon you, and I'm going to forgive you. Now, that's, that's just a small, minor human analogy, but can you think about what that is in the spiritual realm as the judge of all the earth pronounces you legally clean, forgiven, and you're justified. Wow. You know, one of the battle cries in the Protestant Reformation was Luther's uh, statement, it is by grace alone, it is scripture alone, and it is through faith, it is through faith alone. No man is ever justified by good deeds or good works. Think about that for just a minute. No man is ever justified. And man, I tried, didn't you? Have you ever tried to justify yourself before God? I know I did as a lost person. I tried to earn God's favor. I kind of like Martin Luther. You know, he's an Augustinian monk in the 16th century, and he's, and he's lying there in one of these, you know, convent, monastery kind of places. And he, he's laying there on the floor, naked, on the cold floor, beating his body so that he's just, just maybe he could please God through good works and earn God's favor and earn God's uh, forgiveness. And then Martin Luther said, I think it was 1516, he said, you know, it was like I realized reading, reading the book of Romans that I can't do that. There's nothing in me that would merit God's forgiveness and God's love because I am a sinner. And he said, when I realized that, he said, my life was radically changed. He said, Romans 1.17 says, for it is, it is by faith alone. And he says, as I was reading that, he says, my spirit, it was like it was in a cage and like a bird let free. He said, I was, I was released unto freedom. Faith alone, Scripture alone, and grace, grace alone. Let me, let me read Romans 8.30. I, I quoted it just a minute ago, but I want, you to, I want you to see this. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he called, and those he called, these he also justified. Dikiao, dikiao. He pronounced legally just. You are forgiven, you are cleansed, and these he, he justified, he also uh, glorified. I want to give you some more verses in the Bible that talk about this uh, cardinal doctrine of, of justification, okay? Biblical verses on justification. Then I'll give you a definition of what justification is. Okay, so let's look at some of these verses, all right? Let's roll them. I think we'll begin in Romans 3, 26. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just, and he is the justifier of the one who works, sweats, and toils and earns the favor of God by good works. Is that what your Bible says? Absolutely not. He justifies those who have, help me, what does that say? Faith. You say, Brother Dan, it can't, it can't be. It's too good to be true. If it sounds too good to be true, it's probably not, except for this case. It sounds too good to be true, but it is true. You come to him just as you are, and you're a sinner deserving to go to hell, you say, Jesus, I have nothing to bring. <laughs> I have nothing of good to bring. My, my church attendance, my baptism, my good deeds, my tithes, all of those things, they cannot get me into your presence, into heaven. 
I just call upon the name of Jesus. And I talk about this a lot when I witness to people because a lot of times when I witness to people, people will tell me stuff like this. I'm not as bad as some of half of those deacons down at your church. You know, a bunch of sorry rascals. I've done this, seen that. And he goes, but I'm, if, they, if they're going to heaven, man, I'm going to heaven because I'm just as good as they are. And I say, well, there's a problem. I said, when God judges you, he does not compare you to a mere mortal, a human being, a deacon, pastor, or a priest, or pope. He compares you to his son, okay? And when he, when he looks upon you, are you righteous and clean and pure as the son of God? And then people say, absolutely not. I said, I know you're not. That's why you need the son's righteousness, the son's pardon and forgiveness. That's the only way that you get to heaven. Not through good deeds, not through good works. And if that's not true, church, help me. Why in the world did Jesus ever leave heaven in the first place? If you and I can make it, if we can just be good enough and just eke it out, you know, and just do enough good deeds and that ledger, you know, if we can get the good deeds up there above the, the bad deeds, then man, maybe we just bake it into glory. Then why did Jesus have to suffer and die if we can earn our justification before God? Well, we can't. Okay, Romans 3.26. Now Romans 3.28. Son, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart, okay, not this, apart from the deeds of the law. Romans 5.1. Therefore we, 5.1, are we there? We don't have Romans uh, 5.1. I do. I got it right here. Let me find it. I think I'm going to break out in song in just a minute. I really am. I just can't, I can't stand it anymore. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been justified by faith, just as if we've never sinned, cleansed, forgiven, pardoned eternally. It's through faith. And there's one more. Galatians 2, 16... Uh, is that up there? Wonderful. I, I tell you, I got to get glasses, y'all. It's just getting ridiculous. Galatians 2, 16. I mean, I'm just 35. I don't know why I would need glasses at such a young age. 2, 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Is Paul making his point? Has everybody got this by now? We are not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we... Mm. We have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For, look, look at this. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. What a gospel. Mercy. Listen, when you understand this, then you understand the heartbeat of Christianity. This is, this is the difference in Christianity and all other world religions. We cannot earn our salvation. It is a gift from God. We receive it through the merit, through the atoning sacrifice of Christ. And so in Christianity, God comes down to us. In all other world religions, sects, denominations, call it what you will, that are not biblically based, they all in their attempt trying to reach up to heaven, trying to please God, trying to earn God's favor. So here's a good definition of, of justification. Uh, Grudem says it's an instantaneous legal act of God. An instantaneous. So how long does it take to get justified? 
How long does it take for a, a human judge to say, you're forgiven, you, I don't hold it against you? It takes that long, just that long. It's an instantaneous legal act of God in which, number one, he thinks of our sins as completely forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. Okay? Our sins, he looks at us as if our sins are completely forgiven because they are, and Christ's righteousness belongs to us. And number two, he declares us to be righteous in his sight. Mm. He declares us to be righteous uh, in his sight. I got this song on my mind, y'all. I, I don't know how this is going to come out, but y- y'all heard, uh, y'all know the Newsboys? We had them in the, in, the, in the big church there last year. They got this new song out. Oh, my word. I just been, it's just been all over me. I had to, I've been uh, listening to it. It's called, it says, We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. Listen to this. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. Listen to this. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. Listen to this. And He's coming back again. We believe. Whoa! Is that not good? I mean, we believe. And that's just the basics of the gospel. And our message is really not that complicated. Our message is very, very simple. An almighty God had mercy on us. He gave us his son, and we believe, and he forgives us. Mm, mm, mm. All right, let me look at justification a little bit more in depth with you. Number one, or A, justification as a legal declaration by God. This is such an important statement. It is a forensic, legal connotation kind of thing. You can't remove it from the from the forensic realm or from the legal realm, from the judge and the guilty and the pardon and the innocence. It's a, it's a legal declaration by God. Romans 4, 5, so many good verses. It says, But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted to him for righteousness. And that word there, uh, declares righteous is dikiao, and it li- literally means that. It means he is someone who's been declared righteous. The opposite of justification would be condemnation, right? If the opposite of the judge saying you're forgiven w- is you're not forgiven, you are held accountable, you are guilty, and you're going to pay. You're going to pay every bit of it uh, back, um, In Christianity, the beautiful thing is, yes, we are guilty, but Jesus takes our guilt and our sin upon himself, and we are freed, and then we are declared, here's the legal part, we are declared to be righteous because we simply believe. Now, when I say believe, I'm I'm saying believe in the sense that Billy Graham says believe. It's not, oh, yeah, I believe, amen. No, it's, it's I believe, and in that belief, I cast my whole self upon the person of Jesus Christ. And in doing that, W.T. Connor's right. When I cast my faith and trust upon Christ, I turn from my sin and I cast my whole life upon him and he receives me and he cleanses me because of what Jesus Christ has done on, on my behalf. In Romans 8, 33, 34, Paul contrasts these two realities of justification and condemnation. And he says these words, It is God who justifies, who is it that condemns? Do you see it? 
Do you see the juxtaposition between the two? The opposite of justification is condemnation. And every single solitary person born in this world is either going to be justified or they are going to be condemned. Now, wrap your mind and heart around that. Every person either receives justification and cleansing, legal standing before God and forgiveness, or they are eternally condemned. Gruden quotes this uh, theologian named John Murray, not the same Dr. Murray in our church, by the way, but he makes this distinction in regeneration and justification. And he does so with an anecdotal kind of a story. He compares, he compares regeneration to a surgeon, and he compares justification to a judge. And listen to how he puts it. In regeneration, God does something in us. We are born again by the Spirit of God. He comes to live within us. In justification, God declares us to be innocent. Here's the comparison. A surgeon and a judge are two different professions with respect to human beings. The surgeon is compared to regeneration. He removes the cancer and does something within us. That's regeneration. That's born again. But the judge gives the judicial verdict of innocence with respect to us. And I thought that was a good, helpful comparison between a a, a surgeon doing something in us and a judge who pronounces something over us. Okay, B is God desires us to be just uh, in his sight. Uh, And maybe we could be a little stronger than that. It says God demands us to be just uh, in his sight. He does not hold our sins against us, but he pronounces us forgiven with no penalty to pay for sins past, present, or future. You say, Brother Dan, that's too good to be true. Now, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for 35 years. But I'm telling you, I've just done some things. I know I just got to earn it. I got to ask God to forgive me, and then I got to do something good. On behalf of, I just got to do it because, you know, it's just too good to be true. No, it is, it, it is that true. If God forgives you, then why are you trying to earn his forgiveness? If he's cleansed you, and, and your sins are cast away as far as the east is from the west down into the plummet of the depths of the sea. And let me ask you this. If you start thinking about those past sins and worrying about those, guess who's speaking to you? It's not Jesus. That would be coming straight from the pits of hell because the enemy loves to condemn. He loves to remind. He loves to try to hold us in, in, in shackles and in bondage. That is not of God. You know, I used to wake up about 3 or 4 o'clock every morning and my mind would be on some great something or another, and I'd start worrying about it. And it finally dawned on me. It's like, it's like I said, self, where do you think that's coming from? Is God going to wake you up at 3 o'clock in the morning and make you worried and fearful and concerned about something? And finally, you know, I said, God, that's not of you. And he said, no, it's not of me. That's of the devil. So now when I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I start trying to get worried or trying to be fearful, thinking about stuff, I'm like, I don't receive that. That's not of God. I just go right back to sleep. With the help of the ESPN, I go right back to sleep. As I turn the TV on, it helps me. It gets my mind off, whatever. Okay, so Romans 4, 7 and 8. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not reckon his sins. It's almost a quote, verbatim quote from David in Psalm 32, 1 and 2. But that's not all. He declares us just, and he also declares us righteous in his sight. God clothes his children in the robe of righteousness, according to Isaiah 61.10. And when I read that, I thought about, it was actually early this morning, I thought about this verse. 
Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of our righteousness, does anybody remember what it says? Are like filthy rags. Now, not to get too graphic with you this morning, but y'all know what that word filthy rags in the, in the Hebrew is? That's what a woman would use in her menstrual cycle. You said, that's pretty nasty. That's, that's our righteousness. That's what we bring to God. All of our good deeds, all of our trying, all of our attempts, God's like, excuse me, <laughs> that, that doesn't make it. You, you need to be cleansed. You need to be totally forgiven. And the only one who has the power, the efficacy to do that is my son. I tell you what, if I wasn't already a Christian, I think I'd become a Christian. I, I really would. I mean, today. I mean, right, right here, right now. If I really grasped this, if I understood, if I understood this, and I do, and I, I, I mean, mercy, it's just so, so rich. Paul's quoting uh, Genesis 15, 6, when he says in Romans 4, 3, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned, it was imputed, it was accounted to him as righteousness. Romans 5, 19, it is through Christ's obedience that we are made righteous. And now we're kind of moving to this other doctrine called imputation. The doctrine of imputation. Let's talk about that C. Uh, let me read Romans 4, 6, and that will catapult us into this doctrine of imputation. Can we pull that one up? Romans 4, 6. Ah, there it is. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Just as David preached this. Just as Abraham preached this and lived this. So we're preaching this. That a man is not... Redeemed, he is not justified through his good deeds, through his good works, but through simple faith and trust uh, in God and in God's provision. All right, this is going to kind of get a little bit deep, but I want you to listen to me for just a minute, okay? We start talking about imputation. What, what, what does that mean? Well, when Adam sinned, his guilt was imputed to us, okay? That is very clear in the book of Romans. His guilt belonged to us, but when Christ died on the cross the righteous for the unrighteous, our guilt was then imputed to Christ. He paid the penalty for our sins. And Grudem writes this on page 727. He says, and I quote, Christ's righteousness now is imputed to us who believe. And therefore, God thinks of it as belonging to us. It is not our own righteousness, but Christ's righteousness that is freely given to us, end of quote. We don't have a righteousness on our own, that from obeying the law, through good works. But Paul says in Philippians 3, 9, it is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, okay? Faith, justification by faith alone, through grace alone, according to the word of God. His death for us on the cross. It's not something we receive because of some inherent goodness or some act of righteousness on our behalf. Nope. It's simply because an almighty God loves us so much that he gave his son to be our propitiation, to be our atoning sacrifice. Now, any, I don't care who they are, Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, anybody that teaches, it's Jesus and you should not have any fellowship with that. Roman Catholics teach that it's Jesus and good works. Justification happens initially in infant baptism, says Roman Catholic dogma. You won't find that in the, in the New Testament. 
But you will find that in Catholic dogma. That justification begins in infant baptism. And then when a person's old enough, they have faith in Christ and they must obey the Roman Catholic dogma and teaching. I'm just, that's just not, that's just not biblical. Anytime you say it's Jesus and the next statement you make is heresy. I mean, really, if, if I understand anything about Romans and Paul, anything when I say Jesus and, well, 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 wait, wait, brother, Dan, I mean, aren't, I mean, we got to do something. I mean, we got to earn God's favor. I mean, come on, it just sounds too good to be true. I get Jesus forgives me, amen, and I'm, I'm cleansed, but I, I've got to earn God's favor. I mean, it's really, no, you, you can't. You are forgiven, okay? Now, you live. You live in freedom. You live in joy. And you want to please him. You want to live for him, not to earn his favor. <laughs> because you already got his favor. You got it. You got him. Be free. You're going to heaven. Not based on our righteousness, on our works. Man, I wish somebody had shared this with me when I was younger. I would have saved myself so much toil and fear and doubt and worry if somebody just would explain the gospel to me according to Paul in the book of Romans. Dr. Al Mohler is a, um, he's a wonderful theologian. He, he taught, he t he's the president of uh, Southern Seminary, and recently <laughs> Brigham Young University asked him to come and speak. I'm serious. They asked him to come and address the student body, to address the faculty, the president, and everybody. And Al Mohler went and he spoke. Now, they asked him to speak on a certain topic but he couldn't help but speak on some other topics when he was talking. And he was very kind. He was very gracious. And I've read the whole speech, and it is phenomenal. They asked him to come and speak because we are in a cultural war. Now, I don't know if y'all knew that or not. <laughs> I don't know if I'm sharing any new news with you. But we are in a vicious cultural war where everything that we stand for, especially within uh, righteousness and the sexual realm, we are in a battle for the soul of America. Now, as much as we disagree with the, the Mormon soteriology and many of their doctrine, we do agree with them that a man and a wife constitute a marriage. Now, they're strong on that, and they believe in monogamy. Well, most of them do, I think, that you're only one man, one woman for a lifetime. And, and Al Mohler was going to come in and affirm them in that and thank them for their strong stance on marriage and, and morality. But while he was speaking to him, he said, but I've got to share some other things with you. He said, while I'm here, I've got to tell you that I totally disagree with your doctrine on the Trinity. Can you imagine standing before Brigham Young University? <laughs> and he's talking to people that believe that God the Father was a man, was a human being just like you and me, and Jesus Christ and Lucifer are our brothers. And can you believe, can you, the Holy Spirit is kind of an ethereal, kind of mystical thing out there. It's not, he's not a divine person. He says, I disagree with you on that, and I also disagree with you on salvation. He said, because you cannot earn your way to God. You think about those guys in their white shirts and their bicycles, they're knocking on their door. Listen to this. They're not as concerned about your salvation as they're concerned about their salvation because they're earning God's favor. You ought to bring that up to them next time they knock on your door. Why are you really doing this? It's not so much for me, it's for you because you think, You've got to earn God's, God's faith. And there he is up there teaching them and, and saying, and here's my favorite quote, what he says to, in, in this speech, in this article. He said, 
We may not go to heaven together, but we may go to jail together. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Not going to heaven together, he said, but we probably will go to jail together in my lifetime because of what we believe. Guys, I want to tell you something. This is becoming extremely, extremely dangerous because we're living in a culture. We're living in a day and age that is no longer post-Christian. It's become an anti-Christian. Somebody told me a couple weeks ago, and I couldn't hardly believe it unless the source was so credible, and it is. He said, in Europe... In Belgium, they are passing a, a bill of, of pedophilia. They're, they're making it legal to be a pedophile in some countries in the world. But you know what? I'm not surprised. Listen, when, when you walk away from the basic one man, one woman, you, you walk away from that, bestiality, pedophilia, all of that is opened up. Because, and, and people are like, well, no, no, you can't make that leap. Yes, you can, because when you abandon the basic moral homogeneous unit of the family, then you open yourself up for everything. I tell you guys, there's some things worth living for, and there's some things worth dying for, and being strong uh, for the faith. Okay, back to justification. Let me, let me go back here. D, justification comes by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and not work. Some of y'all are looking at me going, do you just think I'm dumb? I mean, do, do, do you think I'm not listening to you? Do you think I'm not understanding? I get this. It's by grace, through faith alone, and you cannot earn it. If you're tired of it, then you're just starting to understand it. All right? you, then it's really just starting to seep in that justification comes by God's grace alone, through faith. Let me read you a couple more scriptures. Romans 3, 20. I think we have these in 23 and 24. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now let me go to 23 and 24. For all have sinned, we know this, and fallen short of the glory of God. But watch this. Look at verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Mm. For by grace you have been saved through, somebody help me, faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And Grudem explains it this way, and very eloquently does he explain it. Faith is the one attitude of the heart that is the exact opposite of depending on ourselves. When we come to Christ in faith, we're basically saying, Jesus, I give up. I will not depend on myself or my good works any longer. I know that I can never make myself righteous before God. Therefore, Jesus... I trust you, and I depend on you completely to give me a righteous standing before God, end of quote. You say, okay, what about the book of James? Isn't it true that Martin Luther, he didn't like the book of James that much, and that is true, because he thought James contradicted Paul, because James will say, you know, can... Is a man justified by faith alone? What about, what about his works? And, and, and James and Paul, to me, are saying the exact same thing. That a faith that is of a genuine faith... In fact, when you read it in, in the Greek, it says, can that faith save you? A faith that is void of works, a faith that shows no fruit, do you really have saving genuine faith? And the answer to that is, is no, you don't. Because a genuine saving faith in Christ will lead you to good works. And he uses Abraham as an example. He says, Abraham 
was already justified by faith in Genesis 15 before he began to make his offering of his son Isaac in Genesis 22. And so I don't think they contradict uh, each other at all because I believe a saving faith will manifest itself uh, in good deeds. Don't you? Don't you? I really believe that. I believe that. Okay, so the doctrine of justification, beautiful doctrine indeed. We offer people hope by telling them, you can be made right with God, not because of what you've done or who you are, where you were born, what you possess, but you can be made right with God through Jesus who paid it all. And therefore, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Justification, legal standing before God. Man, I hate to leave this doctrine. I mean, it's just, it's just been blessing me all over. Okay, number two is adoption. Let's look at this doctrine here for just a few minutes. Adoption is, quote, the act of God whereby he makes us members of his family. You say, is that it? That's easy. Would you say that again? Yep, I will. Adoption is the act of God whereby he makes us a member of his family, okay? His forever family of faith with brothers and sisters, with Jesus as our joint heir, and we inherit everything. We, we get it all. Let me say it again. We get it all. We get it all now in forgiveness and freedom and joy, and when we die, we get all of heaven. Why? Because we're good, because we do good deeds, because we've earned somehow, we've pleased God. No, we, it's not, not, none of that. It's because of Jesus Christ and his imputed righteousness to us. I love the fact that adoption has taken on new meaning in America. So many families uh, are adopted. Have y'all noticed that? So many. How many of y'all been uh, either are adopted or you, you, you have adopted? Thank you. God bless you. A lot of our folks in our church have either been adopted or they have ad- adopted. And I don't know that any other human analogy that, that depicts what God has done for us in Christ than adoption. Because you take someone... And you bring them in, not on any merit that they've done. They have done nothing to deserve your name, to deserve your love, to deserve your provision. But you just, out of the love of your heart, you bring that, that child in, into your home. And, and, and in a real way, that's what God has done for us in adoption through Christ. John, John 1, 12, biblical evidence for adoption, teaches us that those who believe in Jesus, we become the children of God. What other... What other book talks a lot about us being children of God? Does anybody, anybody remember this? I'll give you a hint. It's an epistle. It's a, it's a New Testament book written by one of the disciples of Jesus, and he talks a lot about it in his epistle. And it would be 1 John. 1 John talks over and over about us being children, little children, children, little children, children of God. Oh, what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God, 1 John 3, 1. We do not, um, uh, those who do not believe and receive Jesus are children of wrath. That's what uh, Ephesians 2, 2 and 3 says. They're children of disobedience. But those who do believe, we become children of God. And, and Paul talks about this in Romans 8. Let, let me read this. This is a great, great verse. Okay. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of... There it is. There it is. That's the word. You've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, 
or Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, <laughs> this is good, then heirs. That means we get it all. We're heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. All believers and followers of Christ, be they Jew, Gentile, male, female, it matters not. We are sons of God through faith in Galatians 3.26. Galatians 4, 4-7 teaches us that the evidence that we are God's children is that the Holy Spirit has come to live within us. We're not slaves, okay? We are friends and we are children, sons and daughters of God. I mentioned to you, it's in my notes here, I'm supposed to mention it to you, but I, but I already have. In John's epistle, he refers to believers over and over as being children of God. Sinners who've been rescued, redeemed, justified, and made a part of God's forever family. We are his adopted children forever. Son. Mm. And we have many brothers and sisters. You ever thought of it like that? When you... When, when you're adopted in God's family, you also get some... You say, well, I don't know if I like some of my brothers and sisters. Well, you still get them. You know? We're still in this uh, together. We fellowship with each other now and in heaven. And adoption, when it's complete, we receive our new resurrection bodies. Look at this in Romans 8, 23. Just a beautiful progression here. Remember when Romans 8. Not only that, but we also, who have, who have the first fruits of the Spirit... Even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Um, I forgot who said this. Salvation is now and not yet. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's now, but this is not all. I mean, the, the Holy Spirit in, in, Galatia, in, in Ephesians says he's been given to us as a guarantee, as a down payment, a first fruit, a deposit. Okay? But the future, oh my word. The future is the full, glorified, resurrected body in heaven with Jesus forever. And so that's what you get when you get adopted into God's family. Adoption follows conversion and is distinct from justification. Saved, born again by faith, and adopted by God's family by faith. You see, it's, it's, it's just this package, package deal, okay? Can you imagine an earthly parent looking at a little one-day-old baby saying, now, if you be good, <laughs> you know, and I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to bring you into my family. But if you, if you can't cry, you know, and you, and you can't uh, burp and spit up all over yourself, you can't do nothing wrong, then I'm going to bring you into my family. That baby just looks at him like, what? You know, I'm just a baby. I'm just, uh, and that's the way it is with us. God does not do that to us. We, we believe, and he says, you're in. You're in my family. L listen to the way Gruden puts it. I, li I like this. In regeneration, we're made alive spiritually. We're able to relate to God in prayer, in worship. We're able to hear his word with receptive hearts. Regeneration. In justification, this has to do with our legal standing before God's law. But adoption has to do with our relationship with God as our Father. And in adoption, we are given many of the greatest blessings that we will know for all eternity. End of quote. Let's talk about a couple of these privileges of adoption. Well, first of all, we relate to God now as a son. We relate to him as a father. I mean, as a son or as a daughter relates to uh, their father. We're able to do this because he has adopted us into his family. Romans 8, 15, and 16, here it is. When we cry, Abba, Father, quote, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 
You know, some people have a hard time with this doctrine. And the reason they have a hard time with it is because they, they can't get out of their mind comparing their earthly father with their heavenly father. Have you ever noticed that? A lot of people who have had horrible relationships with an earthly Abba, they, they, they get convoluted and distorted, and they're like, I can't really wrap my mind around all the greatness and all the joy and the happiness because that's just the opposite of what I had from my father who, who abused me, who abandoned me, who ridiculed me. And so sometimes we have to help people. We have to work with people through that and say, you know, God is, is much better than that. God is far greater than that. And um, so sometimes we have to help people walk through it because they've had such a horrible experience with their, with their earthly father, which tells me, hmm, if you're a dad, the way you treat your child is in a big way how they're going to look at God. Is that not huge? I think that's why Proverbs says, the crown of old men is their children's children. And the glory of children is their father. Now, Mom, don't get mad at me, all right? Because you, you're in a whole league all of your own, okay? I'm just talking to dads right now. The glory of a child is their father. Whenever I read that in my quiet time, and I do that once a month, I'll read that verse, it just, it just almost scares me because I'm like, oh, my word, the unbelievable power God has entrusted to me in Hannah Bryant and Layton's life. I have so much incredible influence in them and I say, God, please help me. Please help me live my life in such a way that I would be glory to them. That they would look upon me with great honor and esteem. And when they look upon me, they would say something like, Dad, you remind me of my heavenly Father. Whew, that good? I mean, we have that power. We have that ability to, to be able to impart that to our, to our children. Okay, maybe it applies to your grandchildren too. How about that? Some of y'all got grandchildren, huh? and you can, you can be that person in their lives that they look up to and say, man, when I see you... You know, by the way, the greatest compliment that I can ever give an individual is this compliment. You remind me of Jesus. You know, you remind me of Christ. The way you love, the way you're humble, the way you serve, the way you're just sold out, you remind me of him. God the Father grants to his children gifts, good gifts. Matthew 7, 11, Jesus says, he teaches us that the Father gives good gifts to those who ask him. In Luke eleven thirteen, it says, and God gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And Grudem, it's, it's interesting here, when I was reading his, his chapter, he says, when, God, when Jesus says, and God gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, it's not the Holy Spirit in regeneration, that's the Holy Spirit's power for service and to live for him. I help me. I said, oh, that's good. I have to highlight that. I have to share that. Um, you know, I, I don't know if y'all saw this video during Christmas time, but I never heard of West Jets. <clears throat> but they, they did this true story. They did this deal where these folks were getting, right before they got on the airplane, they were making a connection flight. And they had this kiosk, and if somebody was in there saying, hey, how are you doing? And when you walk by and you stop, there was literally a camera and that person was literally talking to you. And, and you're like, talking to me? And they're like, yeah, I'm talking to you. He says, what do you want for Christmas? And you all seen that? And the guy goes, are you talking to me? He says, yeah, I'm talking to you. What do you want for Christmas? And, and people start telling that camera, uh, Santa Claus, what they want for Christmas. Everything they asked for, when they got to their destination, they got it. One guy asked for underwear, 
And that's all he got. He asked for underwear. Another guy asked for a 60-inch big screen television. He got it. Coming down the conveyor belt, a 60-inch big screen television. And the guy got the underwear and the T-shirt. He was as happy as the guy that got But I thought about it. I want to be the guy that asks for the big screen. You know what I'm saying? God is my heavenly Father. I am his child. The scripture says you have not because you ask not. And so I want to ask, don't be afraid. You know, somebody said, I, I, don't, I don't think it's we ask God for too much. I think we ask God for too little. And he wants to bless us. He wants to lavish his love and, and favor upon us. Now, you didn't hear Brother Danny say at 737, I'm going to ask God for a big screen TV. He's going to give it to me. You know, I, it, doesn't work. it doesn't work quite like that, but he just might. You know, how do you know unless you, unless you ask? There are far greater things than a big screen TV, by the way. It's another sermon. And it's not a car. It's peace. You with me? It's joy. It's just, just being in fellowship with, with him. It's, just, it's, it's great. It's awesome. He's awesome. Romans 8, 17, we're heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Again, that means we get it all. All the treasures of heaven are for us because we're children of the king. Come on now. We are princes and princesses, and we will reign with him in heaven. Mm. This verse in, in Romans also speaks to us of God's children. We will also suffer with him. Some of you are thinking, well, I knew there was a catch. I mean, I knew there has to be a catch. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we're also glorified together with him. And I got to thinking about that. This is, this is pretty deep. Somehow in the mind of God, God has tied in being his child and a special degree of suffering. You ever notice that? And we don't suffer the same way the world suffers. Now, we do in some. We, we, we get sick. We, we, lose, we have loved ones that pass away and so forth. But if you ever notice as a Christian, it's almost God has reserved a special dimension of suffering for us because in that suffering... I'm speaking way more than I know, y'all, okay? I'm, just, I'm speaking far beyond my wisdom, what I'm about to say. Because in suffering, in some majestic, miraculous way, we're more united with Christ. And so we shouldn't abandon suffering. We shouldn't ask God completely over and over, God, just don't let me have any pain, any suffering. That's not the way it goes, because as his children, God somehow commingles that suffering so that we're conformed more to the image of Christ. I don't understand that completely, but I, but I get it, and I, and I believe it. And the older I get, the more I get it and believe it. As God's children, we get it all, including suffering, and we also are, are disciplined. Hebrews 12 talks about whom God loves, he, he disciplines. Another blessing of being God's children is, said this earlier, we have many brothers and sisters in the family of God. And I'm almost done. If y'all give me one more paragraph, I'm, I'm done. I think... I think this is an area we, we neglect and we don't talk enough about. As, as we're adopted, that means all the other children that God adopts, they are our brothers and our sisters. Let me tell you this. We may not get this, but Satan gets this. And if he can turn us against our brothers and our sisters, he can create chaos, he can create disunity, and he can create such a way that the world looks at it and says, if that's being a part of the family of God, man, I don't want any of that. And how successful is Satan in doing that? In local churches. He creates that, that schism and that entitlement and that anger and that 
frustration. I'll just leave that church and I'll go be miserable at this other church. And I, and I wonder if people look at that from the outside and go, what? I thought y'all were family. I thought family kind of worked, you know, worked things out together. I know we may not get that, but the devil certainly, he, he gets that. Somebody said, I've never seen an army like Christians that shoot their wounded. And we do. We shoot one another, we wound one another, we kick one another when we're down. But I don't think we would do that if we understood just who we are in Christ and who those brothers and sisters, some people say, well, I can't get along with them on earth. I just don't know if I can get along with them in heaven. I say, are you going to heaven? <laughs> you may not have to worry about that. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. You don't you go to the other place. You know, I just can't stand that so-and-so. Boy, he did me wrong. And I, I mean, we're, chi- we're children of God. We, we, are, we are family. And it doesn't matter that family mistreats you. They're, they're still family, and you still love them, and, and you still forgive them. We believe in God the Father. Did I sing that song for you? Okay, good. Some of you go, yes, please. We heard that. Okay. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and he's given us new life. One more time. We believe in the crucifixion, and we believe uh, in, in, his, in, his, in his conquered death. We believe in the resurrection, and we believe he's coming again. One more song, then I'm done. Have you, you remember this old song? Well, this is an oldie and a goldie. I'm so glad I'm a part of the, the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain. What else? Cleansed by his blood. I'm a joint heir with Jesus as we travel this side, for I'm part of the family, family of God. That's what we get. Man. I tell you, do y'all see now why I was, I was just fired up this morning and I couldn't wait to, to share this with you because this is just amazing news. We, we have justification and adoption. Good stuff. And we got two minutes before we let you go. So I've, I've given you two full minutes to ask questions and to share your, your heart, anything you want to say or comment before you dismiss. Anything? Yes, sir. Tom? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no contradiction. This is... Um, Brother Tom, for those of you who are listening online, I'm repeating the question. I think I can repeat the question. He said, um, talking about the debate between Paul and Romans, Galatians, if you will, and then James and the epistle of James, that they're both talking about the same thing because James is, is talking about the demonstration of faith and Paul's talking about the possession of faith. And when you put those two together, there really is no contradiction at all. And I, I agree. I, 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 to, I totally agree. I'm trying to hear the question and repeat the question. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Alex? That's right. Uh, Brother Alex said, uh, again, on this faith works dichotomy, really no dichotomy at all, because one is dealing with the root and the other is dealing with the, with the fruit. I think that's well, well, well said. 
And he's coming back again. Revelation chapter 1, Sunday. We're going to cover three whole verses. So we're going to... Hey, listen, guys, Sunday, it's going to be so much fun. We're going to have missionaries from all over our country. They're going to be teaching in our Bible Life class. And then Wednesday, Tom Ellis is going to be preaching. We're going to be commissioning about 40 new, brand-new missionaries going out into the world. Um, uh, it's, it's just going to be a great... It's going to be a great Sunday. We're going to have them in with us. We're going to have great praise and worship. Can't wait to preach Revelation 1. We get to hear from our missionaries and then um, Wednesday at 7 o'clock, please, please, I, I really ask you to come support these missionaries, our, our choir and orchestra and praise team, praise band, they're all going to be leading us in worship. And then a week from Sunday is our all-in, March the 2nd. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be some friendly Bible competition, Bible life competition. And um, we're going to have a free lunch, Baptist love free, amen. And then we just do need you to come, bring somebody with you, and we need you to bring a dessert. Finger food dessert kind of thing, cookies, brownies, all those healthy things that you, that you love. And so that'll be March the 2nd. We're calling it All In. It's the old-fashioned high attendance day, basically. And, and, and I, but some don't get that nomenclature of high attendance. High, who, what, what is that? But we get all in. We're all in that day. We're not going to the soccer game that day. We're not going to... Uh, practice that day. We're, we're just going to make a big reservation for God on that day. We're all in uh, on that day. Okay. Amen. Ross.